Hi, my name's Tim. And I'm Cassandra. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the European, European Soapbox. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about the European Commission. In our brains, when we are thinking about it, it is most similar to the executive branch of the United States, although there are definitely some differences. And I, I know that for maybe European listeners or people outside the U.S. that are, that are listening, executive branch may not make too much sense. Essentially, what an executive branch is, is they're the ones that hold the power. It's usually a person or a group of people that serves in a checks and balances role to check the legislative and judicial branches of their government. Yeah. So beginning with the history of the European Commission, the it kind of started with the high authority in the ECSC. So if you listen back to that episode, we went on their specificals. Um, later on, it combined with the Eurotom and the European Economic Community. And in 1965, with the Treaty of Brussels, it finally became the Commission of the European Community. I'd like to make a quick side note. Um, we still don't know how to pronounce Eurotom or Euratom. Yeah. Um, we still <laughs> sort of just wing in that one. Oh, yes. And we <laughs> probably will continue to. Yes. And then in 2007, it became the European Commission with the official establishment of the EU. Yeah. And so now on to its goals, like what it kind of does. So the Commission helps shape the European Union's overall strategy, proposing new EU laws and policies, monitoring their implementation, and also manages the EU budget. It also. Oh, yeah. I, I got a quick question here. Yeah. So when we talk about EU budget, I mean, doesn't everybody do that? Or how does that sort of work? I'm assuming it's kind of like the gives a general outline for what each country within the EU should do. And then depending on the resources that each state has, they will maybe adjust it a little bit. But yeah. Yeah, and I think we mentioned in our last couple of podcasts about sort of the other branches that they, they also have this responsibility. And so I think, I don't want to be quoted incorrectly on this, but the executive branch sets up the budget and everybody else approves it. Essentially. It's a very checks and balancey kind of system. And I mean, that's good that way. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. So no state is doing something completely different than everybody else. Aside from all of that, the European Commission also plays a significant role in supporting international development and delivering aid. It does so by policymaking. So the Commission is continuously evaluating whether EU policies have met the needs of European businesses. And it also creates evaluations to assess policies for effectiveness, efficiency, relevance, and coherence. Which comes back exactly to what you said before about the checks and balances system. Right. It, it really is an institution that watches out for people, countries, and makes sure other institutions don't infringe on their rights. Exactly. So it, it's going back to that supranational, I guess, idea of the EU. There's a little bit of sovereignty with every state, but there is an overall kind of skeleton that everyone is asked to look at, kind of. Yes. Another th way it helps shape EU's strategy and all that is through its international relations. So it designs developmental policy, delivers aid. Um, it also does delegations with the EU, I guess, systems of power, and also sends diplomatic missions to and within the EU. 
I, I think that that's a really important point because we've talked about sort of foreign policies in the EU before, mm-hmm. but we've never talked about who sets these policies or who really is in charge of how we deal with people outside the EU. Mm-hmm. And it, this is really important because we see things like NATO, trade agreements, um, things along the lines of security, different conflicts in the EU, um, specifically with Russia. We've talked about that previously. And it's a very, it's it's a threatening country when it comes to the European sort of scale. Um, and so I think that the international race relations component of the European Commission is is very, very important. Right. They kind of had the last say in all things foreign relations. So we can now move on to present times, kind of what our main goals are. So, Tim, you know more about that, so please. Okay, well, I think it's important to talk about how the European Commission is even set up. So is it one person, is it 20 people, is Mm -hmm. it whatever along those lines? And it's by far the most complicated structure we've covered so Mm -hmm. far. And and so everybody's going to have to bear with me here a little. It might get a little nitty-gritty and complicated. So, first of all, we'll talk about the current European Commissioner that is, or the current European Commission president, sorry, uh, and that is Ursula von der Leyen. Uh, she has been in charge since 2019, and she is entitled to a five-year term. So that's the checks on all the term limits. Mm-hmm. So when people, which, which brings me to the next point, um, the president is elected by the council, um, and they need a qualified majority. So that means 65%, I think. Um, and the high officials of the colleges or the college, they're also elected. Um, after that, the commissioners are elected by state, but the president and high representatives are elected by college. So there's a bunch of small little groups that make up the European Commission. And it's, like you said, it is incredibly complicated, at least to me. <laughs> it's really weird. We'll boil it down. There's 27 members, there's one president, and of those 26 members excluding the president there are high officials which serve as really close advisors to the president Uh, and so we've talked about how essentially these high officials and presidents are elected they're elected by party Mm -hmm. so this is really interesting to think about it's not oh i know the belgian candidate i'm going to vote for the belgian candidate it's i'm in this party and i'm going to vote for this candidate which in the scale of how most of the other Europe or other aspects of the European Union work, this is once again really weird. We talked about how in the Council of the European Union, they don't sit by country, they sit by party. Mm-hmm. And so this is another one of those weird, weird, I, I guess, practices that they have. Um, but in the grand scale of things, it does make sense. Right. So you mentioned they're elected by party and there's 27 members. I'm assuming that each one comes from one of the member states of the EU. So with being elected by party, is it like the leading party at the time kind of thing? I, I guess so. So say the president's elected mm-hmm. and they're, they're from the Social Democrats. Let's mm-hmm. use that as an example. And they happen to come from Belgium, like we talked about. And so Belgium no longer has a member in the European Commission apart from the president. So mm-hmm. their member is essentially chosen. Mm-hmm. Then let's say we have three high officials. Um, one's coming from Germany, the other one's coming from Ireland, and the third one's coming from Spain. Right. Mm-hmm. So they don't have any members anymore. So now we have 23 members 
that are going to be elected by that country. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have our full cabinet of 27, and that composes the executive branch called okay. the European Commission. It's, it's pretty so complicated. complicated. I hope that example made remote <laughs> sense. A little bit. Okay, good. We'll do more research <laughs> later. <laughs> well, and now, now we'll sort of go to what are the modern goals? Yeah, so each president kind of has their own platform, just like a president of the United States has their like main, I guess, objectives during the presidency. So does Ursula von der Leyen. So her six main goals for her 2019 to 2024 term are creating a new European Green Deal, uh, getting Europe fit for the digital age, creating or adjusting an economy that works for the people, a stronger and bigger Europe for the world, promoting the European way of life, specifically with migration, and a new push for European democracy. So I, I'd like to go to that second to last thing you just said with promoting a European way of life. When I first read this, I was like, that's really nationalistic. That's mm -hmm. even like Europeanalistic. I don't <laughs> no, yeah. If that makes any sense. So, um, And then we read into it, and it's not an idea that they should preserve European culture. It's the idea that they should promote migration because that's what Europe is based on. Mm -hmm. I found that really interesting. And it, I think that all of these policies she's working towards are very progressive. Yeah. And I think that it demonstrates both common issues of climate change and globalization at the same time. Yeah. It seems like, especially with the promoting the European way of life, increasing the movement of people and goods within Europe, which is, like you said, a very, very progressive and good thing. Now, we didn't do great research into all of these specifically, mm -hmm. but um, we're very interested in to see how this is accomplished, specifically if COVID affects these. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we're going to come back as we start to cover more modern events and look specifically at how these policies were affected. Okay. And what, like you said, we're very interested in seeing how the von der Leyen Commission puts forward their, I guess, agenda to push these goals. Um, and I guess something that we took from a website is they are looking for a healthy, green, and prosperous future for Europe. Yeah. All right. I got, I got a quick discussion question for you here. What branch that we've talked about so far do you think is the most important? Ooh. That's a little tough, just because all of them serve similar, but also key roles in all of Europe. You see, that was the answer I was sort of pushing for and fishing <laughs> for, because they can't work without each other. Yeah, That's exactly. why they were designed, and it's the beauty of checks and balances. Right. And I, I think that that's, if there's anything to take away, it's that checks and balances need to be present. Mm -hmm. Not only to preserve, especially in a supranational institution, not only to preserve national sovereignty, but also to um, just make sure that nobody's taking advantage of each one of these states. Right, to keep that dem democratic, socially open kind of thing in Europe. Yeah, so I know this was a little complicated. Um, I apologize for our like, kind of lack of true knowledge about it but we hope you learned a thing or two with us on the european soapbox
The European Soapbox podcast reflects only the opinions of the authors and do not reflect the views of any affiliated and or mentioned organizations. We are students still in the learning process, so information should be taken with a grain of salt and not blindly accepted. The information is for informational purposes only and do not intend to serve as any recommendation. We do not intend to isolate anyone on this podcast and encourage diversity and differences in opinion. The European Soapbox stands independently from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. The authors are the sole owners of the rights to the European Soapbox podcast. As students, we ask for the opportunity to grow and improve in our podcasting journey and progression as individuals. If you'd like to reach out to us, send us an email at europeansoapbox at gmail.com. This podcast is hosted by Cassandra Alvarino and Tim Fry. All music is produced by Till Iringer. That's T-I-L-L-Y-D-E-A-N dot W-A-V on Instagram. A special thanks to our friends, families, and supporters.